Sorry, I had a song, but um, I have technical difficulties, so I'll just have to skip it. No, I'm not going to sing. That's what I get for trying to get ready at the last minute. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is the Christagenia Open Forum. It is Monday, January 24th, 2011. I have a few things to say today. I'm going to say a few things in response to Eli James's program yesterday. And I'm glad Greg Howard is here because he'll have a chance to um, defend himself from some of my criticism if, if he so chooses. I'm not going to be too hard on Greg, but I have to say a few things. At 64 minutes yesterday in Eli's program, the mask came off Eli as a universalist, where he uses the encounter between Yahshua and the Canaanite woman as proof that somehow Canaanites can be saved. Yes, that is what Eli said, because Eli has often insisted that salvation always in the Bible means a salvation in this life. So that must be what he means. So much for those who are not found in the book of life. Later, Eli almost corrects himself when he says that the Bible tells us that the Canaanites are fit for extermination. Eli, you will have to explain the conflict in those two statements. Greg Howard wrongly confused non-Israelite nations and other races in Second Baruch when he elucidated from scripture some scripture from that apocryphal book, and it seems that he wants to turn an apocryphal book into a CI doctrine feeding on Eli's universalism. Here, at this point in Eli's program, Eli is suddenly confusing the beast of the field and the other races, the non-white races, and the idea of nations. In Genesis, interpreting Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Eli claims that the other races are the beasts of the field. They're in the beast creation. I would like to find out from Eli how he justifies calling, calling them nations when we get to New Testament eschatology. Are the other races beasts, or are the other races nations? I want to know, Eli. You're going to, we debate this. You're going to have a problem with this one. I want to know how you turn the other races who, who were beasts, and, and suddenly we get to the New Testament. They were beasts in the Old Testament, and then nations in the New Testament. How the hell do you pull that trick? Now, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but it's pretty obvious. Eli the magician is pulling a sleight of hand from one testament to the other. And Greg fell for it. Sorry, Greg, but that was the truth. Greg, you want us to have dominion over the other races? And Eli agreed. Yet, that's exactly what's always gotten us into trouble. At 75 minutes, Eli said the Mexicans are going back to Mexico. Eli is taking Isaiah 13, verses 13 to 15, which talks about the fall of ancient Babylon and insists that it applies to the fall of the current mystery Babylon as well. But at the fall of the current mystery Babylon, Christ said that he will gather the nations, not scatter them and send them home. Eli, you have a problem with your interpretations of prophecy. Which one is it going to be? Eli said the Mexicans are going back to Mexico. Ezekiel says it will take us seven months to bury the bodies. Yeah, you know, I'm really upset because at the end of, of, of um, Eli's program yesterday, Eli made a highly emotional appeal and imagines that those who agree with Clifton and I over the Genesis account would be following a quote-unquote deadly idea that nobody could ever believe. 
and that we are advocating extermination of the other races. Eli James, that is a lie. You are a liar, and you are making yourself a clown. We have never advocated any such thing. Neither Clifton nor I have ever advocated that. Eli, you are a clown. It's a straight lie. Eli set out yesterday to compare his theory on Genesis and the so-called recapitulation theory of Clifton and I to see which one holds up. Eli told me once that he had a degree in psychology, and I believe it. Yesterday, he went over a lot of scriptures that had nothing to do with our differences, nothing to do with the problems with his thesis that I pointed out in my paper, and then he included many emotional appeals to try to prove his argument. He will not get away with that in a debate with me. He completely avoided crucial verses such as Genesis 2, verses 4 and 5, and Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. This clearly shows that Eli has an agenda, and I certainly believe that Eli exposed himself yesterday as a universalist. Eli quoted Jeff Weekly, who agrees that the beasts of the field are humanoids, making the same mistake that Eli does, seeing the term as a technical term rather than as a pejorative. Eli then quotes Weekly at length, which only detracted from his original stated purpose, because it had nothing to do with the, um, the, the conflicts between what Clifton and I profess and what Eli is professing. Eli admits to accepting the gap theory between Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and then talks honestly, and, and then talks about honesty with Scripture. Well, read Genesis 2.4, because Genesis 2.4 says that the things that are about to happen, happen in the day when Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Eli, you cannot be talking honestly about Scripture, because you skipped Genesis 2.4 and 5 yesterday. You never explained that. It was a major point in my paper to prove you wrong. You passed it up. Then you started defending Ron Wyatt again. Here's the way Eli thinks. Eli insisted Jeremiah predicted the discovery of the Ark in, of, the, of the Covenant. Well, he quoted two Maccabees. The problem with that is that Jeremiah didn't write two Maccabees. Eli put James talked at length about the word study method, quoting Wesley Swift in relation to Genesis, but again, he was not quoting the Bible, and Eli still can't find the other races in Genesis. He calls them beasts in the Old Testament. They become nations in the New Testament by the remarks Eli made in his program. What are they? Are they beasts or are they nations? What kind of word study is that, Eli? Eli told me I was clearly wrong about the seventh day of rest. He quotes Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Eli makes a lot of hay over the fact that the word rested appears in the past tense, yet the way, that's the way the tense of the verb appears in English. In the Greek, the, the verb is in the aorist tense that clearly denotes an action that began in the past but is not necessarily finished. I can document that in Greek grammars. I'm sorry, I can't document the Hebrew, and I don't trust the Hebrew as we find it in the Masoretes. We don't have a clear record of the meaning of the original Hebrew words. I'm sorry, we just don't. We do not have an aorist tense in English, and therefore it is nearly always translated into past tense. Eli claims we are in an eighth day. And to disprove Eli's thesis, first Eli wants to hold 
Yahweh to the same schedule that he holds man. But to man, a day is a day, and to Yahweh, a day is at least as a thousand years, right? Let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. I challenged Eli on this yesterday when he claimed that Yahweh rested and his period of seventh-day rest was over. And Eli asked me to prove it, and I can. Hebrews 4, 4 states, For he spoke in a certain place on the seventh day in, in this manner, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. That's a quote of Genesis 2, 3. And in this place again, this is Hebrews 4, 5, If they shall enter into my rest. Paul is quoting Psalms 95, 11. Hebrews 4, 6, Seeing therefore it remains that some must end therein, meaning in that rest, that rest that Yahweh took on the seventh day, and they to whom it was first preached entered in not because of unbelief. When we do the will of our Father, we have the opportunity to enter into his rest. Paul says at Hebrews 4.10, For he entered into that rest. He also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Paul is saying in Hebrews 4.10 that Yahweh is rested from his works. And we have an opportunity to enter into that rest, which means that he must still be in that rest. Eli, there's no eighth day creation. There's no eighth day formation. You never addressed the points that I made with Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and with Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You cited my paper in one area, and you never addressed my, the points I made with your, ver, your use of the verbs created and formed, except from emotional arguments. You never addressed the scriptures that I cited to support my argument, Eli. You only used an emotional device to defend yourself. Emotion does not belong in interpretation of Scripture. You have an agenda. You are exposed as a universalist. You take beasts and you turn them into nations. I don't know how you could do that, Eli, unless you have an agenda. I'm going to continue to work with Eli James for as long as he will recognize me on TalkShoe. But now I will treat him as if he has an agenda. I will be much more wary of him than I have been in the past, even though I have always been aware that we have had these differences. Yesterday, however, he fully exposed himself as a universalist, download his program from TalkShoe, start listening from 64 Minutes. About 37 minutes into the, his recording yesterday, Eli argues that the beast of the field means blacks, orientals, and Mexicans in the Hebrew Old Testament. And Eli insists that he's following history. We see the word beast of the field very often, and I've never seen a record blacks, orientals, Chinamen, and Mexicans. I've never seen a record of them the scripture anywhere. Tifton has proven... And he has sent the, these um, passages to Eli. He has proven that the word beast of the field very often refers to animals. And nothing but animals. And I'm going to cite some of those passages. Eli insists that beast of the field means the other races and means the other races all the time. Which is absolutely ridiculous. A pejorative is a, derog a term used in a derogatory manner. If I call a Negro an animal, I am using 
the word animal as a pejorative. That doesn't mean that everywhere I write animal, I mean to refer to a Negro. Let's look at um, Psalms 104, verses 10 to 12. He sends the springs into the valleys, meaning the, the creeks or the brooks, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them the fowls of heaven have their habita habitation, which sing among the branches. There we are talking about animals, the beasts of the field that drink from the creeks, the wild asses, and the fowls of heaven. Let's look at Exodus 22, verses 30 and 31. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me, and ye shall be holy unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of the beasts in the field. Meaning lions and tigers that tear up a deer, and, and we come across it, and we would take the, the carcass home. Well, well, that's what that's talking about. It's not talking about Negroes in ancient Israel that tear up animals and, and we should eat it. That's not what it's talking about. Their beast of the field clearly means animals. Exodus 23:11. But the seventh year, thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In, meaning from the fields, when the, when the fields lie fodder. Now, now, the poor of my people, that there just aren't a lot of Negroes, Mexicans, and, and Chinamen running around ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago to eat from whatever grows in the fields. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the animals that you're going to let the deer and the, and, and the um, whatever other similar creatures, rabbits, are, are around, possum, raccoons, to, to take from your garden. And I know I certainly have that problem here in my garden. See, um, Deuteronomy 7.22. And Yahweh thy God will put those nations before thee out. He'll put out those nations before thee little by little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. Now, if the other nations are beasts, then beasts of the field here makes no sense at all. And this is talking about the Canaanite nations, right? They are another race. They're not Adamites. They're not pure. So beasts of the field here also certainly means animals. There are many places in Scripture. 1 Samuel 17:44. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Well, I don't think David's going to kill the Philistine and some nigger's going to run out and grab the carcass. Anyway, your interpretation of beasts of the field trying to force it to mean other races is absolutely ridiculous. The biggest problem with Eli's paper is that he totally, and, and I'm putting a lot of problems aside here right now, I just closed them up. Eli totally misrepresents the position that Clifton and I have always had on the other races. Go read my Genesis chapters 1 and Genesis chapter 2 overview. Go, Clifton has today sent Eli many outtakes from his own writing. It shows that, we, that Clifton believes and has always believed that the other races have existed on this planet long before the Adam of the Bible was created, circa 5000 B.C. Eli has totally misrepresented this position, tried to make us look ridiculous by stating 
that we both deny that the other races existed before Adam. I don't know where Eli gets that. He gets that maybe from the Catholics or maybe from the Protestants. He never saw anything like that come from my mouth. He never saw anything like that in my writing. I don't think he's ever read any of my writing. I don't think he's ever read any of Clifton's writing. He might look at the first paragraph and toss it aside, but the responses that he makes to us are not based on our writing. Clifton has professed many times that the other races have come here, or have been here, I'm sorry, long before Adam. And that's not, that, that's obvious with science. And, and that's Eli's biggest problem. Eli made a statement that we have to fit the scripture into history and science. Eli made that statement in his program yesterday. I have the minute that it's at. I just closed the document up. That is Eli's biggest problem. We don't fit history and science into the scripture. First, there is no history. First, the first, first history we have is the Bible. The second history that our race has, aside from some Mesopotamian inscriptions that, that are far too far to give us a complete picture of what happened in Mesopotamia for 2,000 years, they're far too scarce. Uh, I mean, we have the, the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and a bunch of poems and, and a bunch of legal inscriptions and a few historical inscriptions, but nothing that's going to fill in 2,000 years of history. I have... Um, but the biggest book of inscriptions I have is 700 pages, and, and at half of its footnotes. That's not 2,000 years of history, I'm sorry. And, and most of its poems and laws. There's only, there's only pieces of history that we have from 2,000 years, and we have no recorded history that predates the Genesis account. I don't know where Eli gets off saying that we have to fit the scripture into history. We have to fit history into the scripture. That's what we have to do. We have to believe the scripture first. We have to take the word of God at its face value first, and then understand history and what Eli calls natural history. Let me tell you something. There's no book called natural history unless the Jews wrote it. All science today it is, um, it is molded through the, the prism of the international Jew. And if it isn't, then it doesn't get printed. You might find some obscure site on the internet somewhere, and, and most of those are, are, are put out there by, by left-wing nutjobs and not by, not by anybody trying to tell the truth. You'll, you'll, you'll run into a thousand Zechariah Sitchins before you'll run into one truth-teller. I'm going to read the... Um, I'm going to read the first two chapters of the Christogenia Overview from, Christ, from my website. And, and that, that's because... Eli claims that what well, we haven't thought this out, and he claims that what well, we don't have a position on, on certain things, and, and what we never, he, I never wrote about. Eli claims that I don't have a position on prehistory, pre-Adamic history, because I never wrote about it. Eli's made up a whole bunch of stories about Atlantis and Titans, and, and taken myths, and tried to form them into doctrine. That's what Eli's done. I have a lot of opinions, but I only write about the things that I believe that I could prove from Scripture. That's the only thing I write about. If I can't open up an old book and see it there, I'm not going to try to show it to you. I'm not going to try to snow you with a story I made up about prehistory. I could talk about prehistory all day. I could talk about it a hell of a lot longer than anyone I can. Genesis chapter 1. Christogenia overview. 
days of Genesis chapter 1 cannot possibly be interpreted as literal 24-hour time periods. This is wholly evident. And I just saw a typo in my, in my website I have to fix. This is wholly evident in Genesis 1, 14 to 19 alone, where it is obvious that our sun and moon were not created until the fourth day. Contrary, contrary to the opinions of many, Genesis chapter 1 is not to, intended to be a scientific account of the creation of the universe. Rather, it is a poetic account of the progressive stages of creation and a statement in fact, that our word, as we perceive it to be, was indeed created by Yahweh, the God of creation and the Bible. And this is chapter 1 is a poetic explanation of the creation, which certainly does not attempt to account in detail for everything which we see in existence today. It begins with the evidently unformed mass of the planet that we know as Earth and ends in the creation of Adamic man. The word translated day where it appears here in Genesis, the Hebrew word yam, can also refer to an age or an unspecified but lengthy period of time. Understanding this, the Genesis creation account is easily reconciled with everything that we know from observable science concerning the age of the planet as it now exists. The six day periods of Genesis creation are indeed ages, some of which may have well been quite long in duration. That this is a proper interpretation is also recognizable in Scripture. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 4, where Paul speaks about Yahweh's ongoing period of rest, which Genesis simply refers to as the seventh day, i.e. Genesis 2.2, and which had actually begun thousands of years before Paul wrote. That period of rest cannot be taken too literally either. It only indicates that Yahweh rested from the creation of his works, or in other words, that no new species have been created on the planet since that period began. Of course, some new types have appeared that have done so through hybridization, a violation of Yahweh's law of kind after kind, which appears quite often in these early chapters of Genesis. Eli thinks the Mexicans are beasts of the field which Yahweh created. Well, the Mexicans are an amalgamation of several different races, and that's very clear in our recent history. The word Mexican means mestizo, it means mixed. Some people assert that Genesis 1-2 should state that the earth became became without form and void. Yet this assertion defies the usage of the Hebrew words that the verse was written in and has been covered in detail in a paper written by myself several years ago and available as, as a PDF file entitled Genesis 1 and 2 Overview. I, I wrote that for Clifton some years ago. Clifton has it on his reading list and, and it's available in a PDF on my site. And this same essay is also addressed the fact that the man of the sixth day creation in Genesis chapter 1 is also the Adam, whose creation is described in greater detail in Genesis chapter 2. I will discuss that at length now in the Christogenia overview page for Genesis chapter 2, which I may elaborate on. This should only take about 15 more minutes, and then hopefully we could open up discussion on this topic. It is readily apparent that Genesis chapter 1 should have ended with verse 3 in chapter 2, and that chapter 2 should actually have started with verse 4. These chapter and verse divisions did not exist until relatively recently in the history of Scripture, and the medieval monks who made the divisions, often quite arbitrarily, did not leave us with an ideal product. The text of Genesis 2-4 begins a story which ends with the end of chapter 4. 
on the seventh day when Yahweh God, quote, rested from all his work, unquote. That does not mean that he ceased from all activity. Rather, it means that with the creation of the Adamic man, he stopped creating new species. Any new species or organisms which have appeared since the creation of Adam are only corruptions or adaptations of the things which Yahweh already created. It is evident to me that the Genesis chapters two through Genesis chapters two through four are not truly a chronicle of actual historical events, but are rather a parable which is merely representative of actual events. While Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight is a general account of the plural creation of Adam. The account which begins in Genesis chapter 2 represents a separate account of the creation and then the fall of the Adamic race through the transgression of the particular patriarch Adam. While many commentators concentrate on the minutest details of these chapters, they ignore the meanings of certain Hebrew words, they fail to recognize many of the idioms, and they fail to reconcile many other statements made in later scriptures which allude to early events, and therefore they miss many of the lessons which are conveyed here. Adam was not the first man in the sense of the word as an adult male hominid. Rather, there is much evidence both within and without the Bible that other hominids walked the earth long before the creation of Adam, which, which the best manuscripts of the Old Testament date to approximately 7,500 years ago. So now Eli has misrepresented mine and Clifton's position entirely by claiming that we believe that there weren't anybody on the earth before Adam. I don't, I don't know how he gets off doing that because he spoke to me for two years on TalkShoe and I've never admitted that and have always admitted the contrary. It can be established with certainty that Adam was the first white man. The word Adam in Hebrew means rosy, to be able to blush or to see blood through one's skin. This is quite the way that Dr. James Strong defined the word in his concordance well over 100 years ago as an adjective that is ruddy and it is used in that manner in descriptions of King David found at 1 Samuel 16, 12, 17, 42 of King Solomon at Song of Solomon 5, 10 and of the Nazarites described by Jeremiah at Lamentations 4, 7. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. Their polishing was of sapphire. Only white men could possibly ever be described as being ruddy. The word Adam means ruddy because the Hebrew word dam, Strong's number 1818, means blood. It is general, generally agreed among anthropologists and archaeologists that so-called Western civilization began in Syria or Mesopotamia at least, but not much earlier than 5,000 years ago. It can be established that all of the nation families listed in Genesis chapter 10 and described as having descended from the patriarch Noah after the flood were originally white, and that all of the white nations of today have descended from these peoples. In the historical essay section of Christogenia, there is a list of papers establishing the assertions I have made here concerning the origins of the white race and, and that, their being, that their ability to be traced through history that all of the nations of Genesis chapter 10 are indeed white. Much too lengthy a topic to address here. There is a preponderance of evidence which has demonstrated that the biblical story of the creation of Adam portrays the creation of the white race on earth. The first law of the Bible is kind after kind, which is often overlooked by theologians, that every creature was made by God was created 
after its kind, and God saw that it was good, is mentioned repeatedly in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapters 2, verses 8 and 9, we see that Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden. In the Akkadian inscriptions, in a language closely related to Hebrew, Eden is the common word used to describe the steppe. In this garden, there are trees good for food, and there are also the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. People and races are often depicted as trees in Scripture. Jeremiah 2.21, Ezekiel 17.22, and 31.3. The tree of life, as the New Testament reveals, is Yahshua Christ, who is also the root and the branch of Jesse. The tree of life is also mentioned at Revelations 2.7, 22.2, and 22.14. Yahshua Christ said in John 15.5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. By all of this, it may be evident that Yahshua is the tree of life, and each member of the Adamic race is a part of that tree. The knowledge of good and evil, without stretching the meaning of the original Hebrew word in any way, signifies the understanding, or even the experience of good and evil. A wooden fruit tree cannot possibly be described by these terms. Like the tree of life, this tree is also a race of people. In the biblical context, the only race up until the time of Adam which could have knowledge or experience or e of I'm sorry, which could have knowledge or experience of evil are those rebellious fallen angels referred to by both Peter and Jude. The angels, for instance, who left their first First estate that there were indeed a tree a race of angelic beings cast out to earth even before the time of Adam is evident in scripture in many places and also even more so in apocryphal literature such as the book of Enoch which is quoted by both Peter and Jude Yahshua Christ himself tells us at Luke 10.18 I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven and at 10.19 relates this Satan or adversary to serpents and scorpions. An illustration of the same thing is provided to us in Revelation at 12, after 12 verses 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. These are the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have a paper on this quoting the, um, the the writing of Enoch called The Problem with Genesis 6, 1-4 at my website, which is quite lengthy. It's too lengthy to repeat here, but it, it makes the, um, the argument that it certainly should be the sons of heaven and not the sons of God that we see coming down and going into the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. I cite the book of Enoch and the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Alexandrian manuscripts of the Septuagint in order to prove my case. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, it is related that Adam had named all of the beasts and other animals which Yahweh created. Of course, the other races never had a name in the Old Testament. They were always called beasts. And among them he found no suitable mate, so Yahweh created a mate for Adam from Adam's own flesh and bone. 
Many believe that the seeking of a mate among the beasts, um, among the animals by Adam, is somehow proof that Yahweh God created the other hominid races at this time, or in the creation of Genesis 1, 24 and 25, another account of the same event. This is discussed in a separate article found below. I'm about to go over that article. Whether or not this is true, however, is immaterial to the reason for the account given in Genesis chapter 2. What is absolutely evident here is that Adam was acquainted with all of the species of fauna in his environment, and plenty well enough to recognize them and to give them names, which the other races never had in the Old Testament. Adam was also highly informed that none of these other species were suitable to mate with, and that it was sufficiently important only to mate with another who was so closely related in kind so as to be flesh of his flesh, and the bone of his bones. In other words, this is a lesson which teaches that Yahweh God forbids race mixing, which is a destruction of his original creation, and which is a theme throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, where it is called fornication. The last verse of Genesis chapter 2, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, sets the stage for the account given in Genesis chapter 3. Last year when I wrote this, this is the position I had on the non-Adamic hominids. Non-Adamic hominids, or beasts of the field, if we accept that phrase as a pejorative, which is what it is. There has been much debate among even the most sincere and scholarly advocates of two-seed-line Christian identity concerning whether or not there were two-legged or hominid beasts amongst the original creation of life by God on earth, as described in Genesis chapter 1, from which are derived the non-white races of today. This article shall endeavor to assess this debate, as well as offer a solution to the dilemmas of division and argument on this issue. On the one side are those who insist that two-legged hominid beasts are indeed included in the beast creation of Genesis. These people refer to Genesis 1, 24-25, and the use of the Hebrew word che, Strong's 24.16, to support their argument. They also seek further to support their argument by pointing to the many beasts of later scripture, which are described as having cognitive abilities, hands, and which can be punished for wrongdoing. Yet while it is absolutely evident that such two-legged hominid beasts did exist after the time of Adam, at least as early as the time of Noah's having preserved and preserved from the flood, Genesis 9.5, and possibly even as early as the time Adam named the beasts in the garden, that does not necessarily mean that those beasts were a part of the original creation. In other words, they may have been here in 20,000 B.C., but there's no proof that they were created by Yahweh in 20,000 B.C. There's no proof that they were created by Yahweh in 50,000 B.C. or 100,000 B.C. or 200,000 B.C. We cannot prove that with any certainty, just because they meet the technical definition of Che, which means living, doesn't mean that Yahweh created them. And I will prove that in a minute or two. Furthermore, the word Che is clearly used of four-legged beasts in Genesis 7-2, Genesis 8-20, Genesis 9-2, and many other passages of Scripture. And we have seen at the beginning of this discourse, I quoted several verses of Scripture which uses which use the phrase beast of the field to mean real beasts of the field. Lions and tigers and deer. 
Therefore, neither of the two main scriptural arguments given by those who would assert that Yahweh created non-Adamic men or hominids, and called them beasts, can be seen to prove those assertions by themselves. It can also be said that wherever the word beast is used idiomatically or as a pejorative of hominids in the Bible, the Hebrew word is almost never che, but it is almost always behema instead, a word from which we have gotten the English word behemoth. And where you see the beasts in Jonah who have to repent, you see the word behema, not the word che. As Eli insists, che, che of the field is a technical term meaning the other races. That's contrary to scripture. It is generally agreed, or I should say at least it's not supported by scripture. It is generally agreed by both of these sides that the so-called fallen angels had been cast out onto this planet before the creation of Adam. And Eli admits that. It is also agreed that, as the ancient apocryphal documents state, and that as the epistles of both Peter and Jude infer, these fallen angels had corrupted much of the creation of Yahweh before the time of Adam, and also corrupted much of the Adamic creation or race. Therefore, this entire argument really makes no difference theologically, except that one side wants to somehow prove the other wrong. This writer believes that this argument cannot be proven one way or another by Scripture. I would say that we cannot prove with any definitive proof that Yahweh created non-Adamic hominids as beasts. We really can't. Whether some of those um, black tribes in Africa or whether some yellow tribe in China is actually a beast creation of gods, well, it's possible that in their original form, some of them may have been. But we have to remember that they are always beasts. There are never nations in Scripture, not in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Are they ever nations? If they're beasts, they can't be nations. They're beasts. You can't redefine them halfway through the Bible. You why? The entire argument makes no difference theologically as long as we consider them beasts. It is perfectly clear to all involved that the covenants and the promises of Yahweh our God are made only to those of the white Adamic race, starting with Genesis 3.23, and specifically to the children of Israel who were chosen from among the greater Adamic race. All non-Adamic hominids, whether you want to think that they're beasts or bastards, are not included in any of the covenants. One side or the other may attempt to turn to the archaeological data to prove their point, since that data certainly does show that there were hominids here before Adam, and that some of them may have been white in appearance. Yet it can be argued convincingly by Scripture that the fallen angels themselves must have been white. And the existence of other races here before Adam proves Nothing, since we have no exact chronology, either of Yahweh's creation or of the time of the original rebellion from Yahweh by that race of fallen angels. We cannot prove whether the fallen angels corrupted hominids, which had already been created by Yahweh, or whether there were no hominids until the fallen angels corrupted themselves with animal kind, as the book of Enoch seems to infer, thereby creating those hominids out of themselves. Therefore, furthermore, we may never be able to answer this, at least until Yahshua Christ himself returns and gives us the answer. 
That is what I wrote last year. I have never claimed there were no races here before Adam. Patricia, yes, it's a travesty. We have universalism and identity. Patricia, we can't have universalism and identity. If you want to talk about it, come on and talk about it. Uh, Eli exposed himself yesterday as a universalist. Listen to yesterday's program. Okay, that's it. I, I just wanted to read my Genesis chapter 2 overview in order to show in order to show that I have never had the position that no other races were here before Adam to clear up some of the misrepresentations that were made of me yesterday. Now I'm going to give a, a little discussion of what I believe and what I think can be established from Scripture, but it can't be established with absolute certainty. It really cannot. And Patricia, just hold on until I'm done here, please. I'm not going to hold on. Not going to hold on, and I'll just shut your microphone off. That's all. This is only going to take five minutes. But you know, the fallen angels were here before Adam. If the fallen angels weren't here before Adam, the serpent wouldn't have been in the garden. The tree of the knowledge or experience of good and evil has to be a race of people who were with Yahweh at one time, so they knew good. And they departed from Yahweh's way, so they learned evil. These are the people that left their first estate. Eli is trying to take the Genesis account of the creation of Adam, and I have proven, and Eli won't address the proof, that the creation of the Genesis 1 Adam, Genesis 2 Adam, and Genesis 5 Adam are all the same Adam. You cannot break this into two different Adams. To me, the only thing that makes sense is that the Cro-Magnon men, who were a higher form of man, apparently, from the original Cro-Magnon skeletal remains that were found, they had larger brain capacity and slightly larger frames than we had. And the scripture says that Christ was made a little lower than the angels, meaning that the Adamic man just didn't have the capabilities that the Cro-Magnon man had. It seems to me the Cro-Magnon men, they're the fallen angels. The book of Enoch says that they corrupted God's original creation. That, to me, would make them the tree that knew good and evil. We were put here, the Adamic race, to replace them with the first Adam. The other races are, for the most part, corruptions of what Yahweh originally created. If any of them are original, which I personally doubt, we can't treat them as original. I could list many New Testament passages where there's only good and bad fish. There's only sheep and goats. There's only sons and bastards. We have to treat them as if they're bad fish, goats, or bastards, because Scripture does not give us a third alternative. I got really upset because I listened to the end of Eli's program, and Eli claimed that we were, Clifton and I were advocating exterminating people. I don't advocate exterminating anybody. Eli said a lie at the end of his program yesterday. A blatant lie. And I will confront him with it. I probably, I'll, I'll try not to, I won't confront it with him, I won't confront him with it Friday or Saturday. I will try not to let this disagreement interfere with our work. 
he said a lie. And I have to put it out there. Go listen to the end of his program yesterday. I have never advocated harming anybody, man or beast, period. I've said enough. Some people will think I said too much. If anybody wants to speak, you're more than welcome to. Patricia. Well, I'd like to say I, I think it's obviously I mean, we need to get these issues sorted out, but maybe the manner in which we're going about it, it seems like we're losing sight of the Christian fellowship and the, the love that we're supposed to have. Well, well that's right, but Eli, you know, I told him I'd debate him anytime he wanted, and he put it off for three weeks. I don't know why he did that, but I have to state these as the, I have to reply to some of these things he said yesterday. As he said them, I'm not going to wait three weeks to make that reply. Let's just back up, Bill. You and Clifton were completely out of line to bring this up on Eli's show in his absence. No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold it, hold it, hold it right there. Hold it right there. Hold it right there. I claim ownership of half that show first. Second, it came up on that particular date. Because Eli published this article on the internet two days before that. That's why it came up on that date. That's when Eli chose to publish his article and run out of town. Well, no, he had that trip planned for a long time. Well, well, right, but he also had that article for two months. He sat on that article for two months. Oh, oh see, I think he's trying to unmind you or something. I mean, why but, well, why did he publish it at that time? I had written him two months ago and asked him to reconsider parts of that article because he was misrepresenting some things that Clifton and I said. Well, well, he chose not to do that. I have the emails, Patricia. You don't have the whole history of this, so just put it on hold. I I, no, no, I don't. I don't care what the whole history is. Your attitude stinks. You have been calling a brother a liar. You may have misunderstood what he said. Misunderstood. I just listened to it ten minutes ago. I just listened to it ten minutes ago. I I don't care what what he he thinks that you you. I know that Eli believes that you and Clifton think that God is going to wipe out... Eli just said on his program yesterday that he believed that Clifton and I were promoting the extermination of people. No, no. no I never promoted that. No, he doesn't. That's what he said on his program. I just listened to it. I know what the hell I heard. Well, you may have heard... I'm not backing down on this, Patricia. Oh, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. How many shows have you done on this so far, Bill? You're completely and utterly out of line. And How I many shows? People here are backing you. I don't question your doctrine. You have a right to believe what you want to believe. You don't have a right to trash Eli or any of the other brethren because they disagree with you. I get misrepresented publicly. You can go around saying anything he wants about me. What, what, what's up with that? Oh, misrepresented. Did I trash Eli last week? I don't think I trashed him. No, I, I heard that recording. It wasn't Ernest. And tonight, I heard you trashing him, calling him. Yeah, a right. Tonight, I trashed him because he he called me. He said many, many things about me yesterday that were dead wrong. Well, uh, well, you know what, Bill? You could have waited and had this discussion publicly with him on both sides, but you waited to to take. Oh no, 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 no! I wrote Eli two months ago about this paper. I wrote Eli two months ago about this paper. He had two months to respond to me. He never responded to me. Well, you know what? I think you're both wrong. So, but I think your attitude really stinks. My attitude does suck. You're right. I, I agree. It, 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 it does. And if you think you're being an example, 
of CI about how we handle our differences. You're completely and utterly. All right, Eli said the Canaanites are going to be saved. I should be. I, I should feel good about that, huh? Well, I've never heard him say Canaanites. Oh well, go to 64 minutes in his program yesterday. I don't care. I heard the whole program yesterday, Bill, and you couldn't shut up during it. You know, even though people asked you to, just stop and listen. I mean, he wasn't there to defend his, his point of view when, when you when you did it on, on talk show on his show. Well, why why do you have to come in there and butt in then? Eli, you, you know, this show is advertised, and Eli's more than glad, more than welcome to show up here. Oh yeah, well he well, he's, well I spoke with I mean, Eli. You know, he I mean, said that he wouldn't come here because he didn't think it would be productive with all the young. And he asked me what the atmosphere in the room was like, and I told him, and he said that he does want to discuss the issues, but he doesn't want to just get shouted at and, and yell, you know, basically talk down to. So he said it has to be said. Now, now when have I ever talked down to him? Except when he lies about me. Patricia, yesterday Eli said that Clifton and I advocate extermination of the other races. That's what Eli said. That's what came out of his mouth. And yes, I'm upset about that. I'm upset about that because you know damn well I've never said anything like that. Neither is Clifton. I've never heard you say that, but I've never heard him describe that view to you. Just a minute, Brian. You know, all he meant is that you believe that Yahweh is going to destroy all the other races. No, 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 no. Eli said, I advocate extermination of the other races. No, he's advocating, well, maybe, he, okay, you maybe think that maybe he said something and it didn't come out exactly as he meant it. Have you ever said anything that it didn't come out exactly as you wanted it? Yeah, but never something that, that bad. I never accused anybody of, of anything like that. Oh, he's, he's, he's only saying... And he believes that you and Lipton believe that Yahweh is going to exterminate all the other races. Oh, well, that's what Yahweh says. That's what the Word of God says. Okay, well, but vengeance is Yahweh's. There's a huge difference there, Patricia. There's a huge difference there. Bill, the first time we talked, we talked about this, you, you agreed that this couldn't be proved either way from Scripture. That, you know, and so why do you have... No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I said that... Like this. I said that it can't be proved from Scripture that Yahweh created no or any two-legged hominids as the in the beast creation. That's what I said from Scripture. I am not going to accept universalism by any means. He is not promoting universalism. Oh, he said Canaanites could be saved and Mexicans are going back to Mexico. What, what do you mean he's not promoting universalism? Well, what, what do you mean? The, 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 the scripture says that, that they go back. To, some people go back to their own country. We don't know what that means. And don't you think that we can leave it up to the sovereignty of Yahweh at this point if it's not a black and white issue? Do, do, do you not think we can do that? Well, why do we have to teach the Chinese men can go back to China? And and and, and the scripture doesn't say that. Why do we have to cater to the other races? I'm not going to cater to the other races. I'm not going to soft soak this, Patricia. I'm not going to do it. Asking you to, Bill. No one's asking you to soft soap it. Nobody's asking you to soft soap this at all. People are just asking you to stop attacking a brother who has been very attacking a brother. Not only to you, yeah. But why did he lie about me so much yet? Why did he lie about me four or five times yesterday? Wait a minute. Uh, you know what? I don't know Eli to be a liar. Oh, well, he. I, I mean, that's what he's. I'm going by what he said. Well, I'm sorry, Bill. I think I know this person. You know, after two years of listening, he's not a liar. He may be confused about your point of view. Well, he's very confused. He should have probably asked me. He should have probably had this conversation with me a couple of weeks ago, right? Well, well perhaps he should have, but he didn't. And now you're taking advantage of that and blowing this all out of proportion. And it's completely blown out of proportion. And I am ashamed. 
I'm ashamed that this would happen in our fellowship. Absolutely ashamed. Over, 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 over doctrine? Please. It's totally not worth it. Well, Eli made a very emotional appeal yesterday, and, and I'll admit it was an emotional appeal. And imagine that those who would agree with Clifton and I over this Genesis creation account well, I don't care. would be following a deadly idea that we are advocating extermination of the other races. That, that's wrong, Patricia. That is dead wrong. He said it in front of a hundred people on his program. I'm refuting it on mine. I have to do that. Bill. That's my obligation to do that, Patricia. He if you don't like it, well, I can't do nothing about it. He may, he may have said that you're. He's only saying that you advocate the view that Yahweh is. Well, that's not what he said Yahweh. yesterday. That is not no, what he said. What he oh yeah. Well, so you're gonna you're gonna put him on the spot over over a misphrase when that's what he meant. You and I both know that's what he meant. So now you're blowing this out of proportion and, and trying to hang him over a phrase. I mean, where is your Christian love for this brother? Where is it? That's what I want. Wait, where's my, my Christian love is for people that follow the word of God, and Eli's not doing that. Oh, well. I'm so he has, I tried to, I tried to correct him privately, and he didn't, so I have to make this public. I tried to discuss this with Eli privately. I'm sorry, it does not open the door to universalism. No way. No. No, 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 no. 64 minutes, Eli, Eli said that because of the encounter between Yahshua and the Canaanite woman, that that was a proof that somehow Canaanites can be saved. Don't listen to the program, Patricia. 64 minutes. No, I, I totally disagree with that. He never offered the Canaanite woman salvation. He healed her daughter and never offered... Eli said Canaanites could be saved. That's what he said. That's what he said. From 64 minutes, you listen to it. I've never heard him say that, though. When he and I have covered Matthew, we explicitly were in agreement that, he, that basically the dog was getting a bone thrown to it. They were getting well, a scene in the healing, but they, they, were, they were being told. Yesterday, he said Canaanites could be saved 64 minutes. 75 minutes, he said Mexicans are going back to Mexico. Chinamen are going back to China. Whatever it, it was, it, it was um, totally contrary to scripture. He cited Isaiah 13, 13 through 15 as his proof. That's talking about the fall of ancient Babylon. It's not talking about. Um, it's not talking about anything else. I'm sorry, but I definitely see this as uh, this isn't a pissing match over opinions here. This, this is we're talking scriptural doctrine. This is foundational doctrine that is either proved or disproved through scripture and part of the point here is that there are things that cannot be proven or disproven through scripture but there are many things that can be very much aware through the you know uh, um, e even the, the non-mentioning if it's not being disproven then it can be proven well, I don't know why we can't learn to disagree with one another without being disagreeable. Well, well, let's stop representing. Let's stop misrepresenting one another first. It's an important well, let's, let's, topic, no, but we don't need to become ogres in the process, do we? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's let's not let's not you know kill everyone with friendly fire, Bill. I mean, come on now. I mean, let's not let's not shoot our own brethren here. Let's I'm not so sure it's friendly fire. I think Eli really came out of the closet yesterday as a universalist. That's my assessment. I just listened to the program for the second time. Well, I'll, you know what? I'm going to hang up here because it's going nowhere, and I'll call Eli and ask him myself. I'm sure he's still up at this hour. Thanks, okay. everyone. Good night. Yeah, bless you all. I'm appalled, absolutely appalled.
Well, I spoke with well, Eli. Well, I absolutely, I agree with Mark when he just ta- typed in the chat. I say that Eli has opened that universal universalist door. Absolutely. Uh, there, to me, there is absolutely no question about that. I mean, if you if you are if you are honestly saying and making the debate that Yahweh created these races, that means they had to be good. They had to have been in the Garden of Eden and would have had to have been part of the trees that were good enough to eat. That's well, just yeah, absolutely like opening and and the doors and to universalism. And and, and to um, kind of touch on another point, now, obviously, in the book of Revelation, it discusses the beast system. That is this world government. Why is it called the beast system? Not because of beast as... Um, Many of your the Judeo Christians look at it as you know that's the the devil looking fellow with the horns and the pitchfork and all that crap. No, this, we're talking about the beast, the, these these hominid beasts, the, a system of the beast for the beast by the beast. Now, and who all is included in the beast? Obviously, the Jews would have to be included because it is it is of their creation, and if Jews are beasts, then all the rest of the beasts have to be mixed hybrids, too. Well, Eli and I were discussing that specific point, the idea that Yahweh pronounced all the creation good and that people say non-whites clearly aren't good. And Eli thought, and I, and I tend to agree, that that was basically sophistry since people think good has a moral connotation, meaning good as in moral worth, when it's possible Yahweh pronounced everything good as incorrect for the purpose that they were created. And I know Bill and I disagree on this point, but I'm just putting forth the, the possibility. No, no one's suggesting that just because Yahweh made the dog, that the dog is a fit marriage partner or mating partner, or because he made the chicken and the cow, that suddenly we need to run up against them and try and mate with them. So just because Yahweh made something, and, and assume he did make the Negro race, that doesn't mean that you have to mate with them, or even that you're permitted to mate with them. Since he made men, that doesn't mean you can go mate with another man. Right. But see, at the, at the, at the, same, t- at the same time, though, Brian... Um, <clears throat> You know, good in the eyes of Yahweh means pure. Obviously, so does holy. And why is why are is the white race, the Israelites, the only ones known as a pure and holy race? We are the only ones. I'm very disappointed with Eli's program yesterday, and I hope we have this debate. I really do, because he he refused to address all of the major points of my paper. And the points of my paper that he did address, he addressed very subjectively. But to be accused of advocating extermination of, of people, whether they're beasts or not, that, that's just wrong. That, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And, and I got upset. I, I listened to that about ten minutes before I started this program. And, and I was just human. I, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's just not right. And, and I think that was a, um, a very bad false accusation on Eli's part. And, and I wish he hadn't gone there. Yeah, I, I agree, Bill. I mean, when and, and it was calculated on on his part because he he, me too. he made yeah, an appeal that a, what Clifton and I, I would mean, believe that, were de- was dangerous. Remark. That's a very strong remark. And the thing was is that Eli was extremely emotional as he was saying it too. So, you know, it, it obviously it, it struck a key with him in that he truly believed that it wasn't just an offhanded remark. And obviously too, you're going to make that kind of comment. I mean that's 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 a extremely strong comment, extremely strong. You know we're not none of us here are worried about political you know political correctness, but you know the 
it, it is what it is, especially in this day and age, to be making that kind of accusation basically is what it was. I mean, that's a strong accusation. Like I said, I also don't look at, you know, this is not this is not a pissing match over opinions. You know, this what what gets discussed here is always discussed on a scriptural basis. The origin and of the a brother races, is a brother. Is it really schism worthy, though? Is the issue worthy of causing if, a schism? Since no you know, obviously we all, you know, a brother is a brother if we're related and we have to be Israelites. But <clears throat> we have to bring each other's, um, not that we have to expose each other's faults, but when you when you are presenting something wrong about the truth, yes, it definitely needs to be brought to their attention. I have, the, I have the tape I'm trying to um, find it. I'm going to try to play this on the air right here. Because this is, well, well first, yes, Cliff and I teach that there are no beasts in heaven. That's the bottom line. The Bible teaches that every plant that, Yashu, that Yahweh did not plant shall be rooted up. The Bible teaches that all of the bastard races are going to be destroyed, but they're going to be destroyed by God. I'm going to play this now. I am never, I am never, ever, ever going to back off from that biblical truth. And this is what Eli said as soon as I could get it. Uh, I could get it. I'm going to play it right here. I am never going to dilute the truth of the scripture. Bruce, you're not being censored. Just relax. Uh, Let me try to get my... um, my recording working. Don't, don't. Oh, I had it set on the wrong setting. I screwed it up. I'm going to be okay now. Oh, where am I? I'm in the wrong channel. Okay, let's listen to this. Sorry, I still can't get it straight. William Fink 2, Grant Talk Power. Now I'll get it. Of the sin. It's the parents that are guilty of the sin, and Yahweh does not punish the victims of sin. I just want to say this. I'm no apologist for the other races. Mm-hmm. I, I pay them little mind. I try to have as little interaction with them as possible. I frankly hate the situation as it is currently where they have far more prestige and authority oh, and yeah. a high position in society than they merit times a thousand. You know, that just shows how destructive that the Jews have been, in, especially in the last century, how they've elevated these races to insane positions. I mean, the, the fact that we have a Negro in the White House tells you all you need to know about how upside down the age is at the moment. But, you know, when all of this is turned around at the consummation of this age, and, and that's why these books that, these apocalyptic, uh, apocryphal books, I find so compelling, yeah. Um, because they lay out what's coming for us, and I, I believe it's it's not without reason that we're getting into these books. I mean, it, it's hard to say what these other races are going to end up. They, they may well end up being not nearly uh, such a curse as they are now. Well, if they were that. their rightful place. Yeah, as we said earlier, the, the blacks and Mongolians and Mexicans would be no threat to us whatsoever if it weren't for the Jew instigating them against us. But on the other hand, if 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 it's Yahweh's will that they're all taken out, I mean, if I'm not going to argue. But I, I clearly see that this is not Yahweh's will. This is Bill and Clifton's attempt to redefine the other races without any evidence by simply making false assumptions. I've, expo- I've exposed these false assumptions, and then redefining them as mongrels. 
in my uh, article, Beasts of the Field, I clearly show that hybrids do not reproduce. It's scientifically proven that they don't reproduce. If you have a hybrid population and they breed with each other, the true races come out. That's why the Jews have to intermix with us, get our good genes, right? Absolutely, so yeah. We, the, their own genes, on, they yeah. probably would have disappeared years ago. If, they, if we stick them on Madagascar like Hitler wanted to, right, they would simply die out because they yeah. would no longer be able to interbreed with us. A hybrid no. needs to repopulate itself with the good breed, all right, with the good seed, okay? So let me just make this final point, and you know, uh, I think you have more to say here. But it's obvious that the Bible is trying to tell us the major lesson of the Bible is we are not to race mix. We are not to race mix. If we have finally, and, and only us in Christian identity are learning this lesson, okay? Now, what Bill is saying, and what Clifton is saying, now that we finally learn this lesson, he's going to exterminate them. That's the point of the lesson. So, you're just absolutely wrong. You're just absolutely wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not buying your recapitulation theory. It's unscientific. It's, it's unhistorical. And it's unscriptural. Okay. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, Greg? Well, yeah, I do. Only, only that, again, I, uh, my hope is that this issue doesn't become more contentious. Um, I, it, it seems clear that it's kind of something that needs more discussion. Um, I, I like the idea that you suggested recently about perhaps you and Bill uh, getting together, and you know perhaps I would be a moderator of that. Mm-hmm. That'd be a oh, absolutely. Show. And yeah. um, you know, um, I, I believe that you two could meet as scholars and gentlemen, and and you know, air air everything out and answer each other's questions directly, and um, you know, maybe come to some type of a. You know, agreement or, or agree to disagree. I think whatever it is, these other races should never be the thing that divides us. I just don't view that they have enough importance to do that. And, um, here's, here's the issue. If, if anybody in the people in the chat room think that a Christian identity advocates the extermination of anyone who's not white just because they're non-white, this, this movement is done for. I, I guarantee you, only the people who want to exterminate the other, not the non-whites, that what they'll do, they'll simply attract, you know, the violent people and the radicals. There's no way we're going to attract British Israel or any good Christian. This, this idea is deadly, the Christian identity, and it's just simply false. This idea has potential to make a Christian identity look ridiculous, and that's what it's going to do. So I, I utterly reject it. Bill is wrong. The recapitulation theory is nonsense. And nobody's going to believe it because it's, unscri- it's unscriptural, it's unhistorical, it's unarchaeological. It's, it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. That's my position. Now, if he wants to debate me, let's go for it. I'm ready. Okay? All right. All right. All right, Greg, thanks for uh, monitoring this. Uh... Well, well, Eli, fully implied that Clifton and I advocate the extermination of the other races. I don't want to exterminate the other races. I know that Yahweh, through his testimony in the scripture, tells us that all of the bastard races, all of the goats, all of the bad fish, all of the plants which he did not plant, shall be destroyed, I am never, ever going to back off of that message. Eli 
insists on squeezing the other races into the creation in Genesis 1 as beasts. And then he insists on turning them into nations in the New Testament. Eli's a universalist. Eli's a universalist. You know, in that excerpt that you just played, Bill, there was a, a part that, that Eli had said that apparently I had even missed, where basically, um, from what I heard and what I understand, and I don't think I'm that stupid, that, you know, as long as we, you know, if we can mix with these other you know, humanoid-looking races, and we have children who can still have children, then they're not bastards. They can't be bastards. If you're, if those children of, of that mixed union can still have children, well, then they're not hybrids. Well, well right. He says that they go back, they, they turn black again. That's absolutely crazy. A bastard is a bastard forever. His thinking is not consistent. There are many inconsistencies yesterday in his thinking. He would not. He got away with them with Greg. Greg doesn't know him and his doctrines in the Bible as well as I do. I'm sorry, Greg. That's just the truth. I've been working with Eli closely for two years. He would not have gotten away with them with me. Eli wants it both ways. I'm going to try to find a spot where... um. Where Eli says the Canaanites can be saved, all right? And and I just want people to know why I'm so upset. And and that's major. I never advocate the extermination of anybody. Vengeance is Yahweh's. And because I repeat his word, don't put me at fault. I'm not advertising. I'm not advertising for criminals. I'm not trying to enlist nut jobs into this cause who were violent people. You've seen me time and again, and you've seen Clifton time and again stand against that, but we have to stay in the truth. We cannot compromise the truth because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. And, and Eli, that last emotional appeal he made was an appeal of total compromise. So, uh, he's saying, I don't, uh, I don't believe that I have any relationship with you, and you sh you don't have any with me. Verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat. <laughs> Again, he's telling her, It is not right or fitting or proper to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. So he's calling her a dog. Okay? He's calling her a dog. Verse 27. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And that word masters is S apostrophe, not apostrophe S. So the word master is not a reference to Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a reference to us, the people of Israel. Okay. Okay. So from this passage, it's very clear to me that Joshua has no intention of exterminating all Canaanites. Some of these Canaanites will be allowed to live in there wherever they were created. Uh, let me just go back and uh, if you want to get your... Now, now, did we hear that? Yahweh has no ex intention of exterminating all Canaanites. Yeah. Okay. If you got it ready, because uh, I wanted to go to Isaiah. I said, Yahweh has no intention of exterminating all the Canaanites. Canaanites will be allowed to live wherever they were created. That's what Eli just said at 64, maybe 65 minutes on that program. But are the Canaanites cursed? It, does Zechariah 19, I'm sorry, does Zechariah 14, 21 say it'll be Canaanites or not? I, I mean, what, what is it, Eli? 
Canaanites are an accursed people, and they're all bastards, according to Scripture. But Eli said that Yahweh has no intention of exterminating all the Canaanites. We just heard it on a recording. The Canaanites will be allowed to live wherever they were created. That's in Palestine, I, I would gather. That's where the Canaanites were probably created. That's why yeah, I'm that's so crazy. upset tonight. That is why I'm so upset tonight. What is it? I mean, I wanted you all to hear this. So that's my point. If you want to know why I'm upset, I don't advocate the extermination of anybody. Vengeance belongs to God. He will take out his vengeance whenever he wants. I am not going to teach that Yahweh does not advocate the extermination of all Canaanites. Every plant that my Heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. I am not going to compromise the gospel. And if Eli is comp compromising the gospel, it's my duty to elucidate that. It's my obligation to elucidate that. Even if it's Eli. And even if somebody, as, I, I mean, Maui Patricia, she's dear to me. I, I mean, we've been good friends for two years now. And, and I love the girl, but if she's upset, there's nothing I could do about it. She should listen to the tape again. And think about the scriptural implications and, and the kingdom message implications that Eli's statement had. That's just the way it is. And if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll hear it. If anybody thinks I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll listen. Uh, and I don't have to be mad all the time, but, but I'll listen. I, I, I don't know. Those, those statements are off, awfully odious to me. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of destruction of scripture you're right, Ferwin. I, I just got really upset when, when I just a few minutes before this program started, I shut that, that that tape off when Eli said that Clifton and I were were basically crazy and advocating violence and and advocating exterminating of entire races. My name's not Martin Winstead. I'm not an idiot. Scripture says that Yahweh will have vengeance, and He will. But I'm also not going to negotiate the message, and I'm not going to preach universalism because it makes people feel good, and it makes us appealing to Judeo-Christians. That's just crazy. Well, I told you a few days ago, by the way Eli was talking, that he had an agenda, and we both agreed on that. We just couldn't figure out what it was. Now, I listened to yesterday's broadcast this morning for the first time while I was doing something else. And he got my total attention when he started talking about we needed to make scripture jive with uh, science. That's when I sat down and started listening closely. I'll tell you what his agenda is. I don't know if he's doing this uh, on purpose or it's subconscious or what. Eli's agenda is to make Christian identity more palatable to the average white person. Oh, well, right, but I want Christian identity to be the truth, and so does Clifton. And we don't care about palatable. We know that not everybody can accept this message. That's just the way it is. I don't look to appeal to the masses. I don't care if I'm sitting here by myself. I've said that before. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with you. But I I'm telling you, that's in my opinion, just based on, on the way he was uh, doing in runs around things and the way he was talking, I think that's what his agenda is. Uh, and, and you notice this really started about the time he went on the micro effect. Well, universalism, almost universalism. Once you start compromising, it it just turns into a... Uh, You're screwed. Yeah, can't compromise. Right, right. a little bit of leaven leavens the whole dough. I mean, come on, it doesn't get any more obvious than that. A little bad leaven can ruin the whole loaf. 
And I think that's what he's trying to introduce. He's trying to make it to where the average white person could can get into CI and not not feel like racist. Okay, we'll see uh, you know, all these non-white races. They're God's creation, too. It's just we're special. Yeah, we are special. Okay, but I ain't buying what he – that's what Eli's doing, bottom line. Right. So, uh, and and how is he going to explain the fact that we are the only race that is considered holy? And what does holy mean? But pure. He no other yet, no other race is explained as such. He ain't done yet. You're going to hear some more marvels out of his mouth before it's over with. Well, I'm I'm pretty I don't know I was pretty upset about that program yesterday and and I was I was more upset about it the second time I listened to it and I listened more closely tonight I was a lot more upset about it actually I couldn't um I couldn't believe this was the Eli that I had worked with the, the last two years I mean in in a lot of ways he yeah his personality has definitely strengthened up recently especially since he went on the micro effect I've noticed that. You know, and I mean, I've got an affinity for for Eli too. I mean, come on, he, he uh, <laughs> you know, he presided over the ceremony of, of Cheryl and I renewing our vows. But sure. that, you know, that doesn't take precedence over what I what is the truth of Scripture. I mean, that's what we're all here for. If Eli is just, that's Greg. Sorry, Greg. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Hello. I just wanted to jump in. Um, I don't remember who it was that said it just a minute ago, but, uh, you know, I, I really don't care how palatable the truth is either. You know, I'm, uh, I, I really couldn't care less how palatable the truth is. It's already pretty much not palatable. And all of this discussion is, is causing me to really reexamine this, this issue. Even if it's hard to prove it decisively one way or the other, you know, I, I want to end up being clear on it. Um, you know, I, I Eli is is he's got a good heart, and I, I don't mean to be here to speak for him in any way. And by the way, I know he wants to have uh, a, a discussion between you and him. I think in, uh, in t- three weeks, two or yeah, three weeks from. Uh, yeah, I can't understand why it's three weeks from now, but that's okay. We'll have it. Yeah, um, I, you know, and uh, I, I think that's a good idea, and, and I agree with. Uh, with Brian earlier that I question whether it's a schism worthy because we seem to be headed that way and that's that's a sad thing you know um, see that's Greg Greg I, 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 I talked to Eli over email or I sent him an email and I got a reply this morning but I sent the email several days ago and I just begged him because he's the one who brought up the word schism originally someone else who shall not be named brought it up that there was going to be a schism. And then Eli used the word in one of his shows. And that's when I sat down and wrote him an email and said, man, don't let this be a schism. This this is, you know, not, we, we all agree on 95% of CI doctrine. The other 5% is so inconsequential that it's just a matter of debate. This falls in that 5%. It has the potential for leaking over into the 95%. Yeah. Right now it's well, I, not. I think it's unfair and to call Eli a, a universalist, and I think it's unfair for Eli to advocate that Bill and Clifton are saying that they're for exterminating the other races. That that comment, in fact, as I was listening to myself as Bill was playing that, I don't know if you heard the, the, the crickets chirping after Eli said that. I didn't even respond. I didn't mm-hmm. know what to say because um, I, I immediately thought that's a bit of a stretch to make that.